When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Today, Steve, we are going to ask the question, why do buzzards return to Hinkley, Ohio every March 15? You know, I was thinking that the other day. Why were you thinking that because the other day? Because I was going through the valley and I saw those blue herons and it said, you know, this is a blue herons, you know, area where you can watch them. Yeah. And I was thinking, why do they always come here? Well, I can tell you a little bit about the blue herons. Okay. Um, they come back to that general spot every year to to breed and give birth to new little baby herons. But they will move. I mean, after a while, that area will become fouled. And they will pick up and they will move. But for decades, maybe centuries, the Hinkley buzzards have come back to relatively the same spot in Hinkley on the same day every year. Hmm. And it is a mystery. I mean, since 1957, the community has been celebrating it. There have been years in which upwards of 10,000 people have swarmed this rural township on the appointed date, waiting for the turkey vultures, that's the official name from from naturalists, the okay. turkey vultures to arrive. So imagine the multitude, their necks training for a glimpse of those V-shaped wings stretching to a span of six feet, all aimed at Hinkley as if they have a date with an airport. I wonder if Dick Goddard still does. He used to do an event out there for the day that they would come back and he would... I saw him on TV one time. Yeah, isn't he retired? Yeah, he's retired now. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. I see him at the Hartville flea market sometimes. Is that right? Yeah. He's still around. He's still around. <laughs> well, first, I can solve one piece of this puzzle, and that is the question of when did we first notice the big birds were showing up every year? Publicly, it was acknowledged for the first time in 1957 a Cleveland journalist had caught wind of how a Cleveland Metropolitan Parks policeman, Charlie Willard, had been logging the return of the buzzards for years. He could set his calendar by them. So the reporter published a piece about it, and that March 15, 1957, 9,000 people, 9,000 people just showed up 
on that day to see if Charlie Willard's prediction came true. And it did. I mean, the temporary population boom took Hinckley Township by surprise, took the birds by surprise too. The buzzards were so overwhelmed by the attention. They took flight and moved to an adjacent ridge just to get away from the crowd. (laughs) Well, the next year, 1958, Hinckley was ready. They welcomed folks to town with a pancake breakfast. And guess what? What? Every year on March 15, sausages and pancakes return to Hinckley. That's crazy. It's crazy. What a coincidence. There's a lot of pancakes and sausage coming to Hinkley and some buzzards. And the buzzards. Well, Cleveland Metro Parks and the community, they took full advantage of their newfound fame with a variety of events. I mean, the whole affair just takes on the flavor of a festival. Well, do the birds ever show up on, let's say, March 14th? Good question. Yes. Actually, on occasion, there's an early bird or two, but tradition is is to ignore the odd eager beaver buzzard and wait for March 15 when an official buzzard spotter announces the arrival of the first buzzard. Those other buzzards, we'll, we just pretend that they're passing through. We'll call them Sooners, like the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, they're Sooners right. than Laters. Absolutely. Yeah, we're waiting for the Laters. <laughs> so we know when we took notice of the buzzards, but how long had they been coming to Hinkley and why there? Well, therein lies the mystery. A naturalist would probably return that question with one of their own. Why not? The Hinkley Reservation, where the birds settle, is ideally suited for their roosts. It contains caves, rock ledges, dense shrubbery, and hollow trees, all of which are great places for laying eggs and raising a family. But they also need some big sky and wide expanses that allow them to find each other because they lack a larynx and they can't call to each other the way other birds might attract a mate. I did not know that. Isn't that something? Hmm. Well, Hinkley Township's river, lake, and woods, they also give them lots of food to survive on. Do you know what they eat? Uh, what do they eat? Dead stuff. Oh, well, that's... Carrion. So they they need a big source of dead raccoons, skunks, snakes, turtles, frogs, fish. And, you know, once you find the perfect habitat, why not come back? There is, however, some folklore that's been attached to why the buzzards might be returning every year. And that's the Great Hinkley Hunt of 1818. And the hunt is a true story. It happened on Christmas Eve that year when settlers decided they'd had enough of the beasts that were preying on their livestock and threatening their families. There was a report back then of how in a single night a pack of wolves killed more than a hundred sheep at farms in Hinkley while the farmers had listened to the blood-curdling screams of their flocks as they were torn apart. So the farmers planned a purge. They mapped out a strategy and advertised the hunt for weeks. There was some financial incentive, too. Those ferocious wolves, they each had a $15 bounty on their heads. Some 600 men heeded the call, and they arrived that morning with guns in hand. Here's an account by Charles Neal in his 1881 history of Medina County. The order was that the farmers gather by early daybreak, armed with rifles, guns, pitchforks, flails, clubs, and every available implement of war. Form a continuous line on the four sides of the township and, at a given signal, advance toward its center, 
killing, shooting, and slaughtering all game that came within reach. Now, this was a 25-square-mile section of woods, river, and fields. Hunters from Cleveland, Newburgh, and Royalton formed the North Line. Men from Richfield and Brecksville advanced from the east. A southern line was made up of farmers from Bath and Granger. And from the west, Medina, Brunswick, and Liverpool residents took up arms. Already, the commander shouted, and as planned, the words were repeated by each man, traveling like a wave through the human chain. It was said the vocal command made it around the entire township in 40 seconds. Then the bugle sounded and the onslaught began. The hunters marched forward. Everything was fair game. Wolves and bears topped the list, but foxes, deer, and small game fell before the approaching army. A half mile from the center of the territory, Trees were marked to stop hunters from moving forward and inadvertently shooting each other. As planned, this is where the strategy changed. The last of the animals had been corralled into a stream bed. The hunters climbed into the trees and fired downward, finishing off the last of the wildlife. It was all over by late afternoon, and a count was taken. They had killed 21 bears, mm. 17 wolves, 300 deer, and an untold number of turkeys, foxes, and raccoons. Perhaps surprisingly, there were only two men struck by friendly fire, neither of them seriously. Many of the hunters had traveled miles to participate, and it was Christmas Eve, so a great celebration was planned for that evening. Families joined the hunters at their campsite, where they lit bonfires, sang songs, roasted meat, and listened to the men tell their stories of the day. Organizers of the Great Hinkley Hunt divided the meat among the hunters and paid off the wolf bounties. So what's all of this have to do with Hinkley's buzzards? Right. Well, maybe nothing. But some say buzzards were probably attracted to the township, what with all those carcasses lying about. Now, buzzards, they leave Ohio for the winter, so they wouldn't have found the carcasses until they returned the following spring. Yeah, it looks like they... Kind of stay south, uh, Mexico, and um, I have heard reports south they go. America. I've heard reports. They, I don't think they go that far south. I saw reports where they go roughly to like North Carolina, that area. Oh, okay, yeah, it looks like North Carolina's in there too. Oh, well, you're showing me a map on the internet, and it shows well they can go as far south as they want. Yeah, this is year round, and yeah. then the yellow is just summer. There you go. So as far north as North Carolina, but they can go all the way down into South America. Yep. And, you know, I will say that is also a mystery that these particularly, we don't know that these buzzards particularly travel in a pack to anywhere. For instance, I don't think there's a community that is celebrating the fall return of the buzzards. (laughs) So where they go, we're not sure. So the following spring, March of 1819, it is possible that those buzzards came back to Ohio and found this enormous feast awaiting them. And maybe that experience was somehow written into their DNA, programming them to return on the same date every year in the expectation of finding another feast. We'll never know. The Great Hinkley Hunt is a matter of historical record. And it's also true that the vultures return to Hinkley every year. For many people, that's no coincidence. I was looking up why they called them buzzards. I couldn't find a reason why. Yeah, because they don't make a they don't, they don't buzz. Make, yeah, they don't make a noise. Yeah. But maybe it, 
Maybe it's the way they fly. They look pretty big. I mean, they're they're pretty big birds. They're huge. Yeah, Yeah. six foot wingspan. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're what six foot four? Yes, they're six foot seven. Six foot seven. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's pretty huge for sure. Well, that's it for our midweek ten minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime. Enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.